Romans 8, verse 26 to 27. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Great morning. Let's pray, Renaissance. Dear Lord, we thank you for reminding us through the scripture of your desire to help us in our weakness. We thank you that even though we may not know what we should pray for, it is your spirit searching our hearts, anticipating our needs before we have them. We pray that our Renaissance family be encouraged to know each time we pray, the Holy Spirit is intervening on our behalf, lining our lives up to your will. Please replace any anxiety of what tomorrow may hold with renewed confidence that through prayer, we can draw closer to you. Amen. Good morning, Renaissance. Come on, y'all. Good morning, Renaissance. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm excited. Them kids had this rocking in here. All right. Show them kids some love. Come on, now. Uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, I'm just grateful that we have an opportunity to talk about you, to talk about your Holy Spirit. Father, guide us, God. Let the Holy Spirit have its way today. Let us recognize, God, that the Holy Spirit is you and that you are our help at all times. In Jesus' righteous and holy name, amen. All right, so good morning, Renaissance. Uh, my name is Lawrence Aja. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Renaissance, and uh, uh, I'm really, really excited about uh, the upcoming marathon. How many people in the room have run the marathon or plan to run the marathon? Raise your hands. Okay, like 16 of y'all, that's great, that's great. Um, well, I'm particularly excited about this upcoming marathon. Why? Because we have a number of people in our community, a number of you guys. Tanya that just came up, she's running the marathon, show her some love. I think Cedra, I'm not sure, Portia, and, and my little sister is running it for the first time, so I am really, really excited. But there's part of me that's not really that excited, right? Uh, nine years ago today, this, uh, nine years ago, uh, marks the ninth anniversary since I ran the marathon for the first time. And, and I'm going to be real with y'all, y'all. It didn't go too well, y'all. It did not go too well uh, at all. And I'm also going to tell you something that you probably already know. Human beings aren't meant to run marathons. Human beings are not meant to run marathons. Cheetahs are meant to run 50 to 75 miles per hour. They get up, they're born, they eat some rabbits, they run 50, 75 miles per hour, they don't get sore, they do that. But humans, on the other hand, we have to do specialized training over weeks, months, just to be able to go there and be sore and not be able to walk, right? And so the reason why I'm telling you this is not just because I read something on Google, it's from firsthand experience. So I'm going to take you back to 2009, and I had this bright idea that I'm going to run the marathon eight weeks before the marathon. And I thought to myself, I was like, y'all almost made a career out of running track. All I got to do is, anytime you say all I got to do is, there's a lot more that you got to do. So that all I got to do is pick up my mileage a little bit. I'm going to be good. Damn. Now, the beautiful thing about running the marathons is one of the benefits is that you get in shape. You lose a lot of weight. But this is Lawrence in his early 20s and I'm more sensitive to how I look, and I was just worried that I was going to get to the line and it looked like I missed one too many leg days, like Jesus came up to me and says, pick up your mat and walk. You know, like, them type of legs, like, I, I, didn't want, I didn't want that. So I had the bright idea, I said, you know what, the last few weeks before the marathon, 
I'm going to do some hardcore heavy lift days just to make sure that my legs are right before the marathon. Wasn't a good idea, y'all. So, marathon, I start running, and I'll be honest with you guys. The first three quarters of the marathon, your boy was good. I was running, I had the, the small smiles, the, 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 the rocky fist pump, seeing my friends at check marks, they were like, yay, Lord, yay! And all good things always must come to an end. At mile 17, something apocalyptic happened. My legs, like the, this, this shooting severe pain went both through, both through my quads, and it was the worst cramps I have ever gotten in life. Like, I went from this gazelle-like prance to what could best be described as a Bambi leg, bouncy house bounce. I was like, Bambi leg, bouncy house bounce. You know, I was doing that, it's like I was a background for us from Thriller, like just, just doing this throughout the street. And it was scary, it was really, really sad, because there were people, grandmas, people running past me, you know, and I'm looking at this, and I look off into the distance, and it was like the promised land. There was this rest area, this little tent, with volunteers, medical people, and I make eye contact with one of the volunteers. She sees me, I see her, she sees me, and she sees me, and I can't say anything. All I'm doing is shaking, and she runs over towards me like this titanic rescue, and her and another volunteer bring me over to the side. Now, I was excited and grateful because I didn't have to say anything. She's probably seen thousands of runners experience this pain, and the first thing she did was rub out my legs, rub out my quads, rub out my hamstrings, and it felt like pure joy. But the beautiful thing is, there, she had one clear objective. She says, do you want to finish this race? I said, I want to finish this race. She was just like, just didn't let me do this. Let me help you. So she's helping me out, helping me out. Now, it wasn't just that I was excited to look at the finish line and see the joy that I experienced by checking off one of my bucket list items. It was also because I received help. I thought about all the help, all the supporters, her, all the volunteers that helped me get to the finish line. So I was grateful and I was motivated to get to the finish line of my race. Now, the good news is that your brother, Ended up finishing the race, and a few days later, I learned how to walk again, right? Uh, but as human beings, as advanced as we are physically, unless our bodies were built on a Toyota chassis, we were not built to endure that type of pounding naturally without our bodies breaking down physically. We weren't built to do that. And so as we do, we prepare our bodies to endure that. But equally, the marathon organizers they anticipate the weaknesses of the runners. What they do is they anticipate the weakness, and so they put volunteer tents, they put medical people out there because they know human beings aren't meant to run this. They need help to make it to the finish line. Similarly, God, our Father, anticipates our weaknesses in the marathon of life, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to ensure that we make it to the finish line of our faith. Now, for Christians, the finish line of our faith, oftentimes we forget what that is. And that is in the end, in the end, we will become just like Jesus Christ. That all the tears will be away, that we will be reunited, restored, and we will be just like the son of the king. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been in the book of Romans and Romans 8 and life in the spirit and looking at what it means to live a life guided by God. And last week, Jordan shared how hope and having the right expectations allow you to endure suffering. But in our passage today, what Paul is saying is, not only do you need hope to make it to the finish line of your faith, you literally need the power of God in you to make it to the finish line of your faith. And then what's interesting, what's challenging for us is that right now, today, we're not there yet. 
And if you're anything like me, we need all the help that we can get to get there. Now, Paul, in this message, he's saying in, eight, in, in Romans 8, 26 to 27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, Paul is calling attention to our weakness, and he's not calling us out, and he's not talking about merely physical weakness, like you can't do a pull-up or something. He is talking about natural human weakness that we have spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, that we as human beings are not God. We are not all-knowing. We are not all-powerful. We are not all-perfect. And as humans, we're flesh. We're just merely flesh and blood. And as we know, flesh is weak. And if you're wondering why, how could you call humans weak, Jesus, the one who came down, the sinless one, experienced human frailty and weakness. Remember in John 4, 6, it says, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Now, if you didn't understand this concept of weakness, you'd be looking at this like, Jesus got tired? Like, is this your king? Like, you'd be thinking about it like this was Black Panther, like, does Jesus actually get tired? But he does in his human frailty. Now, weakness extends beyond our inability to stop sinning. So it's just that I just don't have the power to stop sinning. Weakness uh, applies to our incapacity to transform ourselves to be like Christ. On our own and in our own capacity, we cannot become like God. That's sanctification. And just think about this just for a second. Weakness for the believer, weakness for the Christian is not the exception. It's the norm. Weakness for the believer, weakness for Christians is not the exception. It's the norm. Now, just think about it this, today. Today is family worship day. And if you went back to the kids section and went to the baby area where babies are less than six weeks, what would happen if you looked and you saw no baby changing stations? Now, I don't have a baby right now, and I don't know everything there is about babies, but I know at six weeks, babies can't potty train, right? I know, I'm talk, I know my babies will potty train. I'm talking about your babies, right? <laughs> this is Nigerian, like, at six weeks, he does not potty train. We'll, we'll, we'll pray for you and your family. You're right? Literally, right? That would be not normal. It would be the exception, not the norm. We don't get mad at the babies because they're incapable of potty training. We don't take away their inability to have, we don't take away their ability to pee on themselves. What we do is we help them. And similarly, God does not look at us and despise us for our weakness. God gives us help through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul himself saw this in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 12 and 2. He shares, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will bold, boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God, your Father, does not expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be weak. And for many of us, the strongest figures in the Bible, we forget that many of them readily acknowledge their weaknesses. They can recognize to be strong in faith, they had to readily acknowledge their weakness and rely upon God. But I want you to hear this, and please take this for this entire message. God does not 
excuse your weaknesses. He assumes your dependence. He does not excuse your weaknesses, but he assumes your dependence upon him. He does not take him away. He does not take them away, but he gives you himself as your help. Now, still as humans, it's not easy for us to admit that we're weak. Our natural response is to hide them or cover them up or to perform around them as though we don't have them. And I know this very well for myself because I have many, many weaknesses that I've found it hard to come to terms with over many, many years. One of them, because we're family, I'm going to be open with you guys, and I know that you guys can receive this. One of the major weaknesses that I have still to this day is chick flicks. Chick flicks, right? I'm talking about loving basketball, you know, uh, you, know uh, you got mail, something's got to give. Beaches. Do y'all remember Beaches with Bette Midler? You know what I'm saying? Do you ever know that? That was, that was from that soundtrack. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love that movie. <laughs> but seriously... Seriously, Scripture, for me, doesn't necessarily sit the best way. Because when I sit and he says that you're not all-knowing, sometimes I think that God despises my weakness. I've been in a season of life, I used to pride myself on being decisive. Like, oh, I ran a business, I know uncertainty, I can make decisions. And you know when you get around this age, some of you guys are now making decisions about relationships, work, career. And I find myself so afraid of making a mistake that I sat and pined, asked everybody in their mama, yo, could you pray for me? I want to talk to you. Could you discern with me? And deep down inside, I was fearful that God was upset with me because I didn't know all things. And if I made the wrong decisions, he would be deeply, deeply upset. But more than anything, how many of you guys sat down and have been in a situation where you say, God, help me. Help me. I do not know how I'm going to get through this. God, I'm tired of going to Boston again. You want me to plant a church? People need to be perfect for that. I'm afraid that I'm going to crush myself before other people crush me with weight, with pressure. And that may not be you, but I know some of you have been in a point in life when you said, God, help me. Now, how many of us struggle with our weaknesses and feel like we have to fix ourselves before going to God? That you need to get right before going to God. How many people have left church because they recognize they have weaknesses that really need to change. But the truth is, is that you cannot grow, you cannot deal with your weaknesses apart from God. That is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can address them. How many of you have sat back and said, God, I'm still angry with them and I want to forgive them. I want them to still feel pain. God, I said I'm drinking again. I said I would never pick up that bottle again. Help me. God, I said I never would go back into the bed with them again. I let you down. Help me. God, in 2018, I want a better prayer life. I bought a CBR and everything. But I've gone days, even weeks, without even opening my Bible. God, help me. Now, family, if you're honest, you recognize that there are things in your life right now that you realize that you cannot do on your own. You also recognize there are things in your life that you desperately need to change, not only for the sake of your walk, but for the sake of the other people that God has put in your life. Now, if you think that for this entire Christian walk that you've been going through this proverbial marathon, not needing the help that God has given you, 
not needing the proverbial rest stations, then I'm really worried for you. Because anybody who has truly walked with God in the Bible, outside of the Bible, in real life, has struggled with the things that Jesus has commanded of us, has struggled with it. Anytime you get closer to the light, it makes it easier to, for you to see your weaknesses, easier for you to see your flaws. And if there's one thing I want you to take from today, this headline, the message for today is, God does not despise us for our weakness. He helps us in our weakness through the presence, the prayer, and the power of the Holy Spirit. God does not despise you for your weakness. He helps you in your weakness through the presence, through the prayer, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this should change everything. This should change how you see yourself. This should change how you see your circumstances. And this should change how you see your future. Because I know people in this room have ever prayed and wondered whether or not God is with them. You've prayed and whether, what, wondered, wondered whether or not God heard you. You've prayed and wondered whether or not this thing, this barrier that you have, you can overcome it. Now, if that's you, what God is trying to tell you is that I'm here. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm here to help you, and I'll be present for you. I'll be praying for you, and I'll give you the power that rose Jesus from the dead inside of you. The Holy Spirit, God makes him accessible to us. Now, before we could even talk about the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God in us. And I've been confused about what the Holy Spirit is, even as a Christian, because there's a mystery in the Trinity. How could God be one, but yet exist in distinct, co-equal persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I don't care if you went to seminary. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus your entire life. That is a mystery. But also, I've experienced what I've learned about the Holy Spirit is like it's either framed as just this, this, this supernatural force that hits you when the worship team hits the right song, or that it's something that you catch as opposed to the person of God living inside of you. Now, I remember for me, early in my walk, I remember living in Austin, Texas, and I went to my first Baptist church, St. James Missionary Baptist Church, and for the first time, I saw somebody catching the Holy Spirit. Now, for me, it was a beautiful picture of somebody truly being, truly worshiping in an outer body experience. But I'll be honest with you, I was asking the question, do I not have the Holy Spirit? I felt confused. And hear this, many people, particularly in Christian circles, will oftentimes act like Pharisees and sometimes discount those experiences because that does not relate to their own personal experience of faith. And that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if you limit the Holy Spirit to this private emotional experience, you will miss that the Holy Spirit is present with you at all times, and it has a much wider role in your life. Now, we all want to be known by God. We all want to be known and know that he knows we exist and that he's there for us. And that the beauty of God and the beauty of the Holy Spirit is that God initiates that relationship, and he gives the Holy Spirit to us to dwell in us, to live amongst us, so that we can have him at all times. We usually associate power and authority with distance, celebrities, leaders, distance. But God through the Holy Spirit has shown us that he flips that model and says power and authority rest in you through the Holy Spirit. Now hear this, Paul draws on the inward presence and prompting of the Holy Spirit in verse 23 and 26. He says, not only so, but we eagerly, we ourselves who have the first for the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoptions as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Then in verse 26 he writes, 
In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Often we see our human frailties and weakness as a reason why God would not come in us. But the beautiful thing is that God still dwells in us. He still dwells in broken vessels like us, that he would be accessible to us. And all throughout the Bible from the Old Testament, Exodus 25 and 8, it talks about how God makes a space amongst his people, that he tabernacles amongst his people. So sometimes I think it's hard for us to fully grasp what that means. Now, some of you may know film, as you know, is my passion. I worked in the film business for a little bit. And one of my favorite films of all time is Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. How many Last Dragon fans we got in here? <laughs> uh, exactly. Who's the master? Oh, man, I love Harlem. I love Harlem, right? So if you're an 80s baby, you understand this perennial cult classic. Now, in the story, Bruce Leroy reaches the height of his martial arts training. And that his master, his master says, that when you reach this level, fighters now are known to exhibit a glow. And so the entire time, he's confused, like, how do I achieve this glow? So he's going all around Harlem, runs into vanity. We're not going to talk about that. But he's trying to find his glow. And it wasn't until the climactic scene at the end was shown up where he actually exhibits this glow. Now, I'll say for you, I've struggled with whether I have the Holy Spirit because I don't see it. You said I'm holders of the light, but I'm not like I'm walking down the street lighting up sidewalk like Michael Jackson. Like, that's not what happens. So then you have to ask yourself the question, then why did Paul, why did Paul tell us that we have the presence of the Holy Spirit, but we can't see the Holy Spirit? It's because Paul wanted to comfort us. Anyone here, kids, see all the kids in the room. If you've ever been to an amusement park or the kids at heart, not just the kids, you ever been to an amusement park or Six Flags and you're looking at Nitro or King Dakar or something scary, there's something to be said about how you feel when that parent's hand comes with you and they're going to join you on that ride. When you have a friend, you're looking at something extremely scary, but the presence of your friends makes it easier for you to imagine yourself going on that ride. Now, nobody in this room needs to reread Romans 8 to recognize that life is hard. Life has its trials. Life itself is a trial. And what Paul is saying is that you just knowing that I'm with you should comfort you. And it's not just Paul saying this. Jesus himself said it in John 14 as he was leaving his disciples. One of his chief ends was to, present, was to comfort them. He knew that we were troubled. He knew that they were stressed. It says in our verses, in Paul, he says in verse 26, we groan. We're groaning. And that's the Greek word stenagmos, which means like heart murmur, that our hearts are troubled, that our blood flow is off. Like we're stressed, aka we're stressed. And what does Jesus say in John 14, 25, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Think about the confidence and comfort this should give you, that God, the Almighty, dwells in us and he's with us at all times. And that should not only comfort you, that should also challenge you when you think about how to carry yourself knowing that the Spirit of God dwells in you. How many people wonder whether or not they're worthy, they look in the mirror and they don't value themselves? Knowing that the Spirit of God dwells in you and has made his home amongst you should let you lift up your head 
to recognize that I'm worthy for God's love and his presence. But just because God is accessible and dwells inside of you, it also frames and makes us understand that because he's inside of us at all times, he probably knows what we deeply need at all times. The Holy Spirit prays for us. In verse 26, Paul writes, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Now, in our weakness, we would not expect for a limited, finite human being. God wouldn't expect for us to know what we deeply need to become an infinite, divine Son of God. Now, we often believe as human beings in our pride that we know what's best for us. We know what we really need. But objectively speaking, we really don't. Um, uh, a few months ago, The Atlantic reported an article called People Don't Actually Know Themselves Very Well. And what it found after 16 rigorous studies is that when people survey coworkers, they said their coworkers are actually better than they are at recognizing how their personality will affect their job performance. AKA, it's all to say that we're all not that good at knowing ourselves and knowing what we deeply need to thrive, whether at work or whether it's in the work of our faith. And this is why the Holy Spirit is in us, because we can't possibly know what we deeply need to become more like Jesus. And this should be good news for all of us in this room. Good news that God establishes and initiates a means for us to know that God knows what we deeply need at all times through prayer. And more than anything, in our passage, prayer is more than a request-making session. Because many times people draw on the Holy Spirit and say, I need you to make, help me make a decision. It's not about relaying words. Because if it was about communicating words, this passage wouldn't be talking about prayer because it talked about wordless groans when there's no words at all. So it should show you that communication is much more than verbal and that God wanted much more than to hear you speak. God wanted to commune with his child in you. He wanted to invest. He wanted to commune with you in relationship. Now, there was a time in my life when I thought babies were the luckiest people on earth. I used to look at them, look at you. People are just doting to you every, every need. You know, you don't, you don't need, you don't have any bills, you don't have any real responsibilities. This must be the perfect life. And then I spent more time with crying babies. And then spending more time with crying babies, I thought to myself, I was just like, y'all have to be miserable. You know why? Because think, put yourself in the position of a baby. You're crying, like temple vein crying, and nobody really knows what you need. People are doing Google Gaga faces in your face, and you're like, I need to use the bathroom on myself. Help me, please. And people are just looking, and they're not sure. And you would hope in that time as a baby, like, I wish there was like an interpreter here who could hear my cries and I literally communicate to these people what I really need. And the Holy Spirit plays that role in us. As we cry in wordless groans, in our anguish, it is a beautiful thing to know that we don't have to have the right vocabulary, we don't have to have the most beautiful prayer to know that God fully hears us. And this prayer point is real, because for such a long time, prayer for me brought me anxiety. Because I used to be worried early in my faith, like the biggest thing that I was fearful about early in my faith was that someone had asked me to pray in public when I wasn't ready. And I used to think about prayer like it was freestyle rap battling. Anybody know what freestyle rap battling is? Like you literally doing improv with your words, but with like sounding musical. And I remember this time, it was, it was in my late teens, it was in my puppy, it was my first major puppy love of my life. And I was going to Atlanta. And I was on the phone with my boy, and, and Atlanta was where my puppy love was from. And her family was like, oh, you're going to be in town for a conference? We're going to invite you over for dinner. Now, my boy Travis, he's, he looks out for me. He's like, hey, man, I'm from the South. They're from the South. They invite you over. She's going to ask you to pray. I'm like, yeah, 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 all right, because I'm just kind of nervous. I'm, I'm just nervous. Like, should I bring a gift? Should I not bring a gift? I don't know. Man, I should have listened to Travis. 
I remember going to the table, and we had our hands holding them. My gosh, the anguish. And her mom turned to me, just like, Lawrence, will you mind doing the prayer? <laughs> Family, I'm still trying to forget that, that struggle prayer to this day. I don't know what I said. I looked at the water on the table. I was like, God, like the water, let it wash down with the food or something. I don't know what I was saying. I don't know what I was saying. All I know is it was silent. It was silent at the end. <laughs> Please. <laughs> it still hurts. Uh, but the point is, imagine the pressure you would have if the gateway to connecting with God and for him knowing your deepest needs was how well you prayed. How will you know how well you did? And look at it. As human beings, it is our natural behavior not to do things we're not good at. How many of you guys really wanted to do the In Your Feelings Challenge and y'all didn't do it because you couldn't dance? You're like, Kiki, you're like, not me. You're like, you're not doing, that was you. It's natural to not to want to do things. Now understand this. If the Holy Spirit didn't pray for us and perfect prayer was the gateway, it would literally not only be impossible to connect with God, it would be anti-gospel. Because it wasn't like we got the right prayer, but it was that we had the right Savior and that he did the work. It was not us. Now, what we see in Scripture is freeing because we know that even in our deepest moments of anguish, when we are at a loss for words, in the deepest part of ourselves, God knows exactly what we're experiencing, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to intercede for us and communicate our deepest needs to him, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, but because God knows that you're weak, he knows that nothing short of himself will be able to transform you to be more like his son, and that should make you both happy and humble you. It should make you happy to know that God didn't leave this and third-party this to someone else. God gave himself to transform you. But it should humble you to recognize that nobody in this room is closer to God, that everybody needs literally God himself to transform you. He needs that much power to transform you. In verse 27, Paul shares, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus are one, not only co-equal in glory, but co-equal in power. And there's something to be said about the one who's in you being on the same page with the one who's formed you. There's something to be said about the power that hovered over creation and the power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. What that tells you is that no matter what, no matter where you are, no matter what condition you are of life, God can and will see his will for your life through to the end. And he has the power to do that. And you may not see how it's going to happen, but the Holy Spirit is powerfully working in you, like a seed planted that will fruit, that will bear fruit, and will sprout a tree that will reach to the heavens. In Romans 8 and 11, it's Paul shares, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit, who lives in you. Now, if you're wondering how do I apply this even this week, I'd ask you to sit and reflect and prayerfully think about what are the weaknesses that you are really dealing with and to share, not only with yourself, but share with one trusted person in your life. Pray that God helps me in my weakness. Pray that I recognize that God is helping me right now in my weakness. In Nancy, Nancy Guthrie's book, Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross, she includes powerful essays from scholars around the world about the power of the resurrection. And she draws on one from uh, a local pastor here, Tim Keller, and he uses the metaphor of an acorn. In essence, what he's saying is that if you take an acorn and you slam it against concrete, most likely that acorn is going to break. 
What if you take that same acorn and you plant it well beneath the concrete? Soon, eventually, that acorn is going to grow and it's going to displace all the concrete around it. Now what you need to hear is, think about your weaknesses. Think about your vices. Think about the areas that you need to grow in, the addictions, the challenges of your life, the call that God has placed on your life that you don't know how you're going to get past that concrete. And what God wants you to know and what God wants you to hear is that because of what Jesus did at the cross, it is an acorn planted in your heart of faith being a promise to you that greater is in you than is in the world. And the good news is that even in our weakness, God is with us right now. That we who have the first fruits of the Spirit have a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. And what's to come rests on the power of what's already happened. And because we know all fruit, whether first or last, hung on something at some, po at some point, the good news is that at the cross, at that tree, our Savior hung, died, and fell to the depths of hell for us. But he rose, moving more than concrete slabs. He moved heaven and earth so that we would not only claim victory over this life, we would claim victory over our weaknesses, and we would enjoy eternal life with him forever. You will only meet God in your weakness. And the truest example of weakness is at the cross. And when you look at the cross, at that very cross, you see weakness become strength. You see shame become glory. And we see you and God become one. Holy Spirit, help us in our weakness. Holy Spirit, help us see our weakness. Holy Spirit, help us see our strength. Help us see your glory. Help us see our God in you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for you giving yourself the Holy Spirit. God, let us meditate on the truth that no matter what, you are present with us at all times. That no matter whether we have the right vocabulary, the right prayer, the right prayer for us, that you hear our deepest needs at all times. And Heavenly Father, let us recognize when we see ourselves in the mirror, when we see the, the challenges and the weaknesses of our life, that you recognize that the power that raised Jesus, your son, from the dead, lives in us. And that because of that, we will live with you forever. In Jesus' righteous and holy name, amen.